Hi everyone, welcome back to the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast Series. I'm Sarah Willis, I'm a French horn player by trade, and I'm also a passionate podcaster. I just love podcasting with the Yellow Label's star-studded cast of musicians. From kitchen composer to Spotify star, my guest today has been described as a one-man recording phenomenon. Even if you haven't heard his name or know the names of his compositions, chances are you will have heard his music. His new album is just out, and I'm so happy to talk to him today. You Beving, welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I hope I pronounced the name right. You know, yeah. these names are always the most stressful parts of the podcast. Well, you did a very, very good job, especially for <laughs> a native English-speaking person. <laughs> yes. Tell me what your accent is, because I've met the most fun people in my youth orchestra, and the European youth orchestra were the Dutch. Ah. But they always had this real Dutch accent, and I don't hear any Dutch in your English accent. Why is that? I'm just pretending not to be Dutch when I speak English. I don't know. I have a a tendency to adapt my pronunciation to uh, whoever I'm talking to. (laughs) So if I'm talking to a Dutch person in Dinglish, which is Dutch English, I'll probably sound like a English speaking person as well. I think it sounds very, it's always got a little bit of Australian in there somewhere. Australian, yeah. Australia. Uh, it, it really de- <laughs> really depends. At the end of the interview, I think it might sound a bit more British, thanks to you. So <laughs> I, I would be very honoured. Uh-huh. I think musicians pick up languages, uh, at least the, the timbre of the languages, quite well. When I came to Germany, I couldn't speak very good German, but I sounded like I could. So yeah. everyone spoke faster than, than, than they should have. But uh, I, th- I don't know. Interesting. I think so too, yeah. Congratulations on your album. Thank I you. have listened to it all several times. And um, it's, it's, a, it's an album that, do you expect people to listen to it all in one go? Is it like, would they say in German, ein Gesamtwerk, a whole product? Or is it like more like a playlist where you dip in and dip out? Yeah, I think compared to my previous album, which which was definitely intended as a journey, basically with a intention in the uh, the story arch, so to say, of the album, that's not so much the case for this one. I think the whole thing breathes one particular mood state or mind state, so it doesn't really matter if you uh, go from left to right or top down. Or I mean, I would prefer listeners to listen from beginning to end. That would be my preferred journey. You prefer not to be shuffled. (laughs) No, no, no. You know, when I introduced myself to you, I said I'm a French horn player by trade. I must say, I enjoyed the music, but I was also equally impressed with how many millions of Spotify listeners you have every month. Horn players could never, ever, ever do that. What is it about piano and peaceful and evocative and mystery why do people listen to that a lot more why is that it's so unfair (laughs) yeah i cannot really answer the fairness or unfairness although i have to agree with you i think the very simple answer and i'm not a specialist in the field would be the fact that the piano enables one person to be the drummer the guitarist and the soloist all at the same time in so incredibly many different ways that it is easily enough to listen to that one instrument. As is, you know, with guitar, I think, has similar possibilities of being a 
very well amusing, entertaining solo instrument. We can be amusing and entertaining as well, but people usually find it the most amusing when we miss a note. <laughs> I'm so sorry to hear that. Yes, well, that happens to me a lot too, but luckily... Um, do you miss notes? I do miss notes, yes, yeah. Listening to your, your music, I wondered, I mean, I know you go and perform it, so that was actually the answer to my own question. I was going to ask you how much of it you improvise while you're composing it or whether you write it down or how does that work? Because sometimes you just think, oh, he's going off. Oh, no, he's coming back here. Oh, no, he's going off there. You could think that some of it was improvised, but, but it's not, is it? There is actually some songs that are leaning on improvisation. On the new album, there's one piece that's 100% improvisation. Which one is that? See if I spotted it. Well, uh, shall I say it or you want to say it? <laughs> no, no, no. I, no. I think they're definitely not the waltzes. No. Um, was it Accent Graf? Was it that one? No. 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 Oh, bad. Sorry, guys. I'm sorry to disappoint you, dear listeners. Uh, it was Mushin. Mushin. Ah, okay. Uh, Interesting. Which, because that was quite a long one for you too. That went on sort of six or seven minutes, that yes, one. Yes, yes. Uh, ah, that was the improvisation in it. Okay. Exactly. So other than that, everything is composed except for the track before Mushin, which is the Dervish one, which in structure is composed, but not in notes. The structure is kind of set, but whatever is played is is more free. And the the rest is, you know, is fully... Uh, I will probably play it the same notes every time I'll play it. Do you have a structure? Do you like... I mean, because you were described as a kitchen composer. Mm-hmm. I mean, in one way, it's really cool because it evokes, just like what you say in, in your bio- biography, you know, late night kitchen alone, um, mm-hmm. kids in bed, you're composing in the night nocturnal. On mm-hmm. the other hand, it's like, you know, is, is that is that a is that a, a posh enough title for a composer? <laughs> um, it, it's true, though, you did compose in your kitchen. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, definitely. The first album was conceived more mostly in the kitchen within a framework of, of of about four, five months, I would say. That's absolutely true, and it should not be posh at all. It's good for the PR, actually. Yes, yeah. I, uh, I, I believe so, but that doesn't really matter. <laughs> I had a studio back then, but I, I just didn't have the time to go there, having a young family and, and, and a job and not really the energy. So that's one of the reasons I, I turned to the piano to be able to, you know, spend more time and, and try to create an album next to my other obligations and responsibilities. Is, is the studio near you? Do you have to, like, literally go out as it's built onto your house? Amsterdam people live in very tiny, narrow houses, don't they? They go up, like, ten floors, but are, like, as, as wide as a, I don't know, as a table. <laughs> yeah, our house isn't really that big, and I can't have a studio here in the, in the house. Then one of the kids should move out, which is not something I would want. So I have one on a 15-minute bike ride from my home, which which is close. It's on the other side of the water. It's a nice travel. Um, really brings me to a different part of, of town. And I have a very small studio, but it has been my, uh, my home away from home during the pandemic. Yeah, I bet. And is the famous piano from your grandmother in that studio? Yes, it is. <laughs> 
Yes. It's beautiful. And it really, I mean, literally, you're, it's your grandmother's piano. You inherited it. You take care of it. But whenever we see you playing on, on, on your videos, is it always the same piano? I mean, but it's always the same prepared piano. You can't take it with you wherever you go, I guess. No, it, it's my, my grandmother's piano is very special in that I found a sound in that particular instrument that I really haven't found in any other piano that I played in the past year. So I tend to be really careful with that piano. It has traveled to the Großesau of the Elbphilharmonie. I felt I needed a bit of a lucky charm and do something special to perform in that immense space Uh, other than that it stays in the studio there's one live stream i did where i used it as well but usually it's in the studio so i have another one that is not as good but close to which i use what about the paris what did you play on in paris yeah that's a piano i bought from a family close to utrecht i was looking for a replacement an additional good sounding one that i could travel with and i i Went to see a lot of pianos and I came in this family's home and tried out the piano and I I decided to take it away from there. And uh, that's the one also from Paris. And is it prepared? Because, I mean, the one thing you hear on this album, well, you hear on all your albums, actually, but I don't know, maybe I use different headphones for this one, but you can hear the piano breathing. The piano is alive Mm -hmm. and you hear the pads, you hear the strings, you hear the hammers. And that's part of your music. That's very much part of it, isn't it? Yes, very, very much so. I think it's less audible on Hermitism on the new album. At least I tried to you know, get it to a level that it really plays a musical role and not uh, is not very destructive. Um, oh, there, but I would miss it if it wasn't there. Yes, well, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's a percussive element sometimes. I'm really using it to try and get a nice sound that, that makes you... Uh, Immerse you do in... get a very nice sound, if I may say so myself. Thank as, you. As a as a mere French horn player, um, <laughs> I also love how you hold the chords at the end. And I mean, do you lift the pedal up? You get these harmonics at the end. It's 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 amazing. You know, which which harmonic will stay in the last chord? You know, it's always a guess, isn't it? I mean, this piano it has an incredible resonance and sustain. Super long and stays very musical for a very long time and then you can play with that in a magical way which my my, sadly my stage or my concert piano or the one from Paris has that to a lesser extent but yeah I'm lucky to have inherited such a beautiful sounding instrument it's it's part of you it's part of your product it's part of your your brand um this album is very much you know you coming back to his roots it's just you at the piano you know it's the hermitism the seven Ancient Principles for Self-Mastery. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, more yeah. or less. I tell you, you've introduced me to words I have only heard before and never Googled. Okay. Well, <laughs> With the titles of all your albums. For the listeners, Youp's albums are very have very special names. Solipsism, Prehension, Conatus, Heniosis. Is that the right way of uh, Heniosis? Heniosis. He knows, yeah, he knows this. Sorry, he knows it. He knows this. And, and then hermetism. You challenge your fans because if, if, if one is not quite familiar with these, these principles of, you know, of, of, of psych, psychology, Greek, uh, yeah, that you follow a certain path. Yeah, it's my way of making the listener that is interested in discovering more a part of the creative journey and part of the narrative or part of the the muse behind 
what I do without you know making it all too obvious I want to maybe challenge but also just offer the the possibility of discovering things that I I am discovering in in the in the process of you know creating this music and some people do some people have that fascination and start a conversation with me about it and that's something I really love doing and it's kind of sharing in a way it's wanting to to you know explain but not wanting to explain too much and on the other hand it's what really wanting to share and um, hopefully giving some people that weren't familiar an opportunity to discover something that might be fun or beneficial yes to here's, them. here's one of them excellent <laughs> the other side of the microphone that's really good <laughs> tell me about the cover uh, yeah, the cover. Uh, it's through a mutual friend I knew, Jonathan Niklaus, Berlin-based German artist that has a very idiosyncratic or very... Uh, he has his own own style of visual unique. language. Unique yeah. visual language. <laughs> it's very, very re- reminiscent of hieroglyphs. It's very reminiscent of a lot of things, which I find very interesting. It, it is a stripped-down play of lines that form a composition that in a way very rudimentary but also incredibly beautiful in in at first glance so they managed to capture something essential that you recognize um, and that speaks to you with just a couple of lines which is what i'm trying to do with my music as well at least that's my hope or my challenge or my my goal so you you gave him your music and you said paint it well yes also i approached him and i first said well i I feel this kinship that we share in trying to translate something into um something essential and hopefully beautiful uh and i'm working on this album and the the theme i'm having the, the the thoughts i'm having uh at this moment and with this album are these seven universal laws that have been handed to us in ancient times already and that have been all of them at points in my trilogy my previous three albums very much the topics around which i wanted to create and i wanted to communicate so everything got together in in the now choosing hermetism as let's say the title and the seven laws as kind of like the the energy that I wanted to share and may come across. I gave that to him and I asked him, can you do a study of each of these laws in your own style, your own essential way of, of deducting? And he came up with seven really simple graphic illustrations and that formed the basis of his more elaborate hieroglyphic art basically so i was very happy he gave it a lot of love it looks like, especially yeah. good on this big album i've got the the, the lp in my hand yes and, it does. Uh, and it's, it's isn't it great it's completely different from you know your normal i was expecting you in a tuxedo and tails standing next to your piano like have, you have, know, I, have, like I, have I ever done that no have you ever worn a tuxedo in your life actually yes yeah uh, i recently was nominated for a dutch film award that was the the first time i think i 
properly wore a tuxedo. My mum, congratulations! My, my, my mum was proud. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure she was. I'm sure it looked fantastic. A quick word about Mark because I did want to mention him because yes. he's an important important influence. It's the second track on the album. Yes, and, uh, Mark and I yeah. started together, so there's a, there's a long story behind that. Basically, he, him, and I we were kind of put together. Uh, in the south of France during a festival. He was looking for a, a place to sleep and we had spare beds in our um, apartment. And during that day, I found a piano. I had a habit of playing piano during that festival just to get rid of some stress and, and other things. And he was there and he witnessed that. And I wasn't really witnessing anything. I was looking at the, the keys and just improvising. And, and afterwards he said, that was something and <laughs> people really responded to what you were doing did you know that and, and I wasn't really aware of it and he said well if you're ever going to do something with that piano or want to pursue music then I want to be a manager and I wasn't an artist at the time and he wasn't a manager at the time but I think a year and a half maybe two years later that actually all did happen and we quickly got together I think three months after I released my first album and we started the journey and that brought us to Deutsche Grammophon for example but also uh, you know beautiful venues around the world and festivals and adventures and Mark got sick we got back from Australia landed in the pandemic in the lockdown and after two weeks Mark was not feeling well and he was diagnosed with cancer it was uh, interesting times and he's fighting against it he's he's doing pretty good now and for Mark the song I wrote during a very critical life-saving surgery he had to undergo one day and I didn't know what to do other than really try and focus all my concentration energy on him by writing a, a composition for him during the time that he was undergoing the surgery so that that became the song for Mark I've, I've performed it a couple of shows when he was there and it's very weird and kind of intimate, but uh, it's... Uh... He's doing okay now, though, isn't he? Yes, he's he's not cured, and I don't think he will ever be fully cured, but he doesn't look sick. He's got energy, and he's going with me on tour. He's making the best out of life. He's very positive. He's, he's mm, helping a lot of people. And, uh... and hopefully he's listening right now. Mark, if you're listening right now, we all wish you lots of health. Well, Mark, if you're listening right now, you know the tons of other stories I could tell about you and how much I love you. And thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> That's lovely. So he was your producer, but you got discovered actually by Deutsche Grammophon by Christian Batsura in a bar. Now, did you get a call from Christian or did you get a call from somebody saying, hey, man, I just heard you playing your music in this bar in Berlin and I want to sign you up? How did that actually happen? Did you even believe it was happening? No, I didn't really believe that. Well, yeah, it was very surreal, obviously. What happened was that a friend of mine from Berlin came to my concerts, I think at the Concertgebouw in, in Amsterdam, and she took solipsism on vinyl back home. And then I think for some reason she left it at the Belmont Bar, which is a nice bar in Berlin, which happened to be the hangout of Christian. So he was, he was there uh, on an evening and the bartender put on the record and he was like, oh, who's this? And then he found out that... The record got there through this mutual or through this friend of mine and he got in touch with her and she sent me a text like, okay, uh, DG wants to talk to you. I don't know. I was completely amazed and I 
was very surreal. And but I was intrigued, so we started talking, and we ended up having a very similar interest in music, and we had fantastic talks about music. So that that really reeled me in. Yeah, we've been working together now for uh, for quite some time. For, yeah, um, yeah, quite a few albums. Yes. <laughs> so, are you the sort of pianist who goes and practices his scales in the morning, or do you literally just sit down? Because you don't play fast music, do you? I mean, I'd love to hear you sit down and play Liszt or Rachmaninoff. Do you ever wish you could just sort of go and bash out stuff, or or when you're at the piano, are you literally a peaceful pianist? I'm uh, a peaceful pianist by force, I would say. I'm not a very skilled piano player, so I have a very bad technique. And you're not just being modest? No, I think I I managed to do the slow playing pretty well now. But in the beginning, it wasn't good at all. So I had to learn a lot. But my technique has always been an issue for me. And it's been a reason for me to, having had to quit playing piano because I, I had repetitive strain injury due to wanting to you know study but not having enough time yes i would love to be able to play something really fast but i just can't so that's uh yeah uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sad reality. Well, your, fan, your fans don't seem to mind. I mean, that's you. That's your brand. You are your music. But there's a lot of very inspiring and clever stuff around you. You have your piano. You have the type of music. You have you, your very impressive beard, if I may say so. Oh, and, <laughs> and also this Spotify thing. I mean, you were put onto the Spotify bandwagon, the, this, the peaceful meditative bandwagon, mm-hmm. like right at the beginning mm-hmm. um, when when. It started to become something that people listen to a lot. I mean, that, that's mm-hmm. a feeling I've got. Now, if you look at their peaceful piano, Spotify, their, their mm-hmm. lists, there are like a few people I've heard of, you and, and Fram, and, and, but then there's like lists and lists of people I've never, ever heard of. And probably mm-hmm. we never will again. You never mm-hmm. know. But the fact that you got on right at the beginning, I mean, was that... I can't even imagine that sort of millions and millions of monthly listeners, as mm-hmm. I say. But do do they all know it's you, or do you think they're just uh, listening and be and chilling? Oh uh, yeah, I think you know the definitely both. Let me start at the beginning. So I started playing piano again because at that time it was the thing that made me feel better, and I needed to feel this ease of mind, of tranquility of mind, which meant playing slow, which meant playing things that felt trustworthy in a way. It made me feel better. And I was like, I want to share this with the people around me. Maybe they feel the same. So I did. And I I made an album to share with them. And then it was possible for me as a private person to put that on Spotify. The lucky thing was this was like you said, just a moment where streaming started to take off, where the shift was slowly being made from album listening to mood listening or to, you know, time of day listening or whatever. So that was all, you know, a lucky coincidence uh, to be part of. And um, I didn't know of Peaceful Piano. I think I had overall 60,000 plays and all of a sudden they had put on one track and I saw the increase and that's when I started to think of what, what's going on what is this so I've been extremely lucky that, that happened but when that happened with that track they saw that it had a very positive response so they put on more tracks and that's also when you know people started to ask about me for concerts so it gave me a way in really to 
you know, start reaching out to fans and to get fans. And nowadays, I, I, I'm not sure if I look at the, the stats, you see a lot of people that, you know, know who you are because they listen through your own channels or whatsoever. But there's also a lot of people that have no clue and just put on this playlist because it makes them feel right. What do you think they're looking for? Do you think they're looking just to have background music? I mean, I can never have background music. You know, musicians, well, you know what it's like. You can't have music as a background because that's our job and that's our passion. And even, you know, lying at the dentist and I'm listening to music, it's just you're always analysing it somehow. So for me, it's not really that relaxing. What do you think these people, are? these 15 million people are looking for? Well, you know, it's really depending on what, if you're asking about my music or a popular playlist Both. like, like Both. I, well the, the simple answer is obviously you know there's a lot of noise and negativity and there's a lot of things asking for attention and there's a lot of nonsense and there's a lot of maybe alienation or, or yeah scary uh, stuff out there yeah scary yeah. stuff out there so this is in a way is a way to calm down it has a uh, calming effect on people, which is what they need and what counterparts the madness out there. That's one thing. And the other thing, which goes slightly deeper, I hope, with this instrument, there is an element of recognition. They recognize something in it that makes them feel understood, that makes them feel connected, that makes them feel like, you know, they're not fully alienated or they're not alone and what they recognize in it is you know i don't know patterns frequencies things they experience in nature things that they are themselves made of which is not just with you know solo piano music obviously but in a way it's vibrations it's frequencies interacting with you and giving a sense of trust and a sense of comfort and a sense of I'm not mad because <laughs> this is, you know, other people and I feel like I'm being talked to here on a level that's not only rational or cognitive noise. So I guess that's quite a big part of why, you know, people start using this music not per se as almost with a medical intention. <laughs> Oh, a thera- therapeutic intention, but that therapeutic you know, is there, good there's one, yeah. there's a lot of people that really get great therapy out of trash metal or hardcore or whatever. So it's all, it, there is a obviously a subjective element in there, but I think for many people it's appeasing and it's connecting, it's it's establishing connections with. Well, your fans, your listeners, uh, they spot you right away, I think. And, uh, and, and from your 15 million monthly listeners, you now have 15 million and one. I signed up this week. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> so, so I will continue to listen to what you're doing. Congrats on Hermitism, really. I, it's, uh, Thank you. It's going to be much. a great hit. It's lovely to hear you back, just you at the piano, you know, and speaking your music to your music world. And, uh, Thank you so much. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I'm sure all, all our listeners have, otherwise they wouldn't be listening to it. If they haven't, then they've got to get right out there and and have a listen. So thank you so much. I hope they like it. It would mean a lot to me. And uh, thank you for this lovely interview and for your energy and give um, 
big hug to everyone there over at DG. I will. Deutsche Grammophon is very proud of you. And um, yeah, it was great, great to discover your world as well. That's uh, always a big challenge for me on these podcasts because yeah. I, of course, I get the, you know, the soloists and conductors that I've worked with myself. Yeah. And those are like almost the easy ones because yeah. most of them are also friends. But then I mm. get, you know, these occasional artists that it's a completely different world of mine. It's really humbling for me also to dive into these worlds because just because you play classical music every day doesn't mean that's all you should. I tell my students all the time. That's not all you should concentrate on. You need to have the wider picture. So you've got to go and listen. Your homework is now to go and listen to some French horn music. Okay, <laughs> I will do that while I'm feeding the kids. I think that's Please a great, do. Great Please do. It's a deal. You, thank you very much for joining us today and all thank the best you. to you. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this podcast with you and would like to hear future podcasts or catch up with past ones, we have had some fabulous guests, then please subscribe to us on your preferred platforms. I'm Sarah Willis, and it has been a total pleasure being with you and you today. See you next time.